The views and opinions expressed by the guests on this podcast are that of their own. In no way, shape, or form do they reflect the official policy or position of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. You've descended into the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. A commercial diving podcast by working divers for divers. This episode is brought to you by Ocean Eye Inc. Ocean Eye's main focus is you, the commercial diver. With industry leading end to end service and expertise, they got everything you need for your next dive job. You need your gear maintenance or repaired? Need some new products or consulting? Ocean Eye's got you covered. Give them a call at 610-621-5750 or visit them online at OceanEyeInc.com. This is the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack, as if you don't already know. Welcome back. The one and only show that'll give you the truth about commercial diving. Semi-truth. Is that kind of lame? I don't know if it's lame as more as... Half-truths? Half I'm already given half truths. You're already given half truths. You're already being a liar. You know, we've been around for a little bit now, so that's too long. I know. It's 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 been it's been amazing. The support we've gotten has been amazing, and then also we've had a couple of detractors now too. So it kind of makes you feel good a little bit, you know. Well, I don't want to be telling stories out of school, but uh, I'm more of a fan of the detractor myself. <laughs> I, I, uh, I've never been one to follow the path, you know, I like to throw wrenches into things. Are you the one posting weird comments? No, on the <laughs> no. And I, I know you don't use Facebook. It's yeah. For I don't even, yeah. Well, no, I use Facebook. I just don't know how to use Facebook. I have it for family. Yeah. That's so they know I'm not dead. So I know they're not dead. That's where you put the obituaries. You can't put an obituary right. on Instagram. Right. Have you ever seen an obituary on Instagram? I have. And you know okay. what I do? Just scroll keep right past scroll it. Yeah. I don't get it. But Facebook, though, it's a little different. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it's Facebook. I'm like, oh, man, even if it's a friend I haven't talked to in a long time, I'm like, oh, I just saw him or her or they, whatever. Long and then so, it's easier to scroll through their history and look yeah, through their like, memories. Oh, I remember and stuff. that. Oh, yeah. This is why I don't talk yeah. to him no more. Okay, cool. Okay. Well, then that's fine. Facebook is for old people and for obituaries. Death. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've been doing pretty good on Facebook. You oh, know, I'm not going not gonna to talk bad about Facebook. I, I like Facebook. And uh, wherever meta. it's called Meta now. Okay, that's right. Wherever you get your social media, make sure uh, you like and follow the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. Yeah. It's just getting hot in here. It's really hot. So we're still still in murder town, but you know, we're gonna Welcome get some to new digs. We're gonna get USA. some new digs pretty soon. Yes, hopefully. Hopefully sweet Los Alamitos. Should I be telling people where we're at? It doesn't matter. <laughs> As if they're gonna come stalk and kill right. us. Like someone from the south is gonna come over here. Yeah. But yeah, uh the the Downline podcast has been going strong. Been having fun with that. So I'm looking forward to another uh, another year of uh, episodes with them. So okay. we got a lot of big things in the works. You know, we're going to be having uh, underwater interventions really soon. So mm. 
by the time you guys hear this episode, it's going to be like probably a month away. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you guys stop by the uh, Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack booth. Mm -hmm. We will have a booth down there and hopefully a nice chest of cold beers. Yes. And maybe some shirts. Maybe. Definitely some shirts. We got to bring some shirts. I don't care to sell these people anything. Give some away. Instead of beads, you get a t-shirt. I give them my time. Right. You know what I mean? And it is going to be in New Orleans. You are familiar with the city. hey Oh, Oh, speaking of Louisiana, I think there's only like 11 days, maybe eight days now. I don't even know. Soon, college football is going to be back soon. So I'm very happy. I'm a happy person because of football is back. Yes, football is back football right is now. Back right Did now. you see the game last week? It was amazing. And you know, it's preseason, but... Yeah. We're recording for the future, so yeah. <laughs> you see how we're already prepping. Oh, right, yeah. right. Week <laughs> that, four. What a great game that was. <laughs> those <laughs> those teams. Go team. Go teams. <laughs> go teams. Sports. Go, go, go sports. Go foosball. Uh, yeah, this is great. In this episode, we have uh, Mike Wheatley. He has had a prolific career in commercial diving, and he is now a, a welding instructor at a DIT, so... He's coming on the show to tell us a little bit about uh, being a welding instructor, how he's molding those those young minds, how he's turning kids off the street into underwater welders. Right. Yeah. That's the dream. That's the dream. Crazy. Seattle, Washington. Yes. Okay. Is there another Seattle I should be worried about? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not very good with geography. I mean, I know there's. What if there was another Seattle? Isn't there like like Azerbaijan or something? There's like. The only there's Long Beach, New York, yeah, and then this Long Beach. But there's I know also there's more Long Beaches. Long Beach, Mississippi, right? That threw me for a loop. Why is that? You know, Long Beach. It's a description of a beach. There, too. it's a Long Beach. Yeah. Man, is it longer than ours? I don't know. We'll it's see. not. I don't think it is. I think we are the longest Long Beach. Hmm. 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 Fun facts already. Well, let's get also, Mike Wheatley on. False truth, though. I and don't get some more false truths and fun facts. I'm sure. I'm sure he's got some whoppers for us. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Welcome to the Bottom Dollars Dive Shack. Good evening. How do you hear me? Hear you perfectly okay, fine. Perfect. Oh. Coming through loud and clear. Wow, this is way beyond my uh, techno- technological capabilities. So. Well, me too, Mike. Me this too. is great. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. How do you do your uh, comp checks at DIT? What's the uh, uh, what's the process there? Just basically start them out with uh, can you you know one two three diver diver back one two three comms clear and then we adjust you know the Amron boxes. We got uh, 25 20s all through the school. Um, and then everybody else, they set up the Zoom calls and that stuff. Um, this is actually my first time on a uh, individual computer. So there we go. Nice. No, oh, that's perfect. Well, can I? You've been go the ahead. first one who's actually done it perfectly so far. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. It's a diver's secret. Yeah. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Yeah. yeah. Do that. <laughs> Oh, excellent, guys. No, you're, no, this is great. It's great. I'm, I'm glad we were able to have you on. 
And uh, it's another new season of the Bottom Dollars Dive Shack. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a this is really great. You know, thank you for coming on. I appreciate the invite. Uh, I've been listening to you guys for quite some time and uh, I've heard a lot of familiar names from the from my past and uh, very good, uh, very good podcasts, uh, very informative to the new kids out there. We have a lot of them that uh, are heading in your direction to listen to them so that you can get uh, get some insight into what they're getting into. Oh, no. Got a lot of new kids flooding the market and driving down wages, right? <laughs> um, well, I don't know about that. I've, I've seen some, in, <laughs> some incredible offers that they're throwing out there to these kids nowadays. That's just I don't understand why people are still saying that because the amount of companies right now that are hiring up these youngsters, it's 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 a little crazy. Mm-hmm. With yeah. signing bonuses. Yes. Can you and tell us a little bit about that that you've been seeing? I didn't uh, get a signing bonus. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're uh I've been seeing signing sign ons from five hundred up to fifteen hundred and up to thirty days of housing until they can get themselves stabilized that the companies are actually oh, putting the guys up. Yeah. This is for an entry level tender. It's an entry level. Rich. Yeah. 20, 20, <laughs> is the lowest I've seen. Uh, they're all the way up to 25 right now. For a walk off the street, I'd like to work for you. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really good to hear. Could you imagine back in your day getting all that? No, I know. Oh, no, no. I, <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine that. <laughs> no, I, I mean, during Katrina, they, they were given sign-on bonuses. That's when I first heard of all the sign-on bonus stuff going on. I just sank a lot lower. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh. My oh. chair just hydraulically yeah. failed. The, <laughs> the weight. <laughs> the weight. <laughs> yeah. I the, put on a couple. I, I remember when DiveCon asked me to find people and I said, well, what, what do you want to offer them? They said, well, if they're, they're a good diver, we'll give them 5,000 sign on. If they're a tender, we'll give them a thousand and buy them a hat and pay their school off. Oh, wow. And they were starting them at 15 an hour. Um, divers were seasoned divers were 25 to 30. Um, in the Gulf. And then within six months, everything jumped 75%. They just couldn't find people to come on board. And it was crazy. Uh, we They were almost up to $40 an hour for uh, Diver 2. Diver 1s were making 45 to 50 an hour offshore. 80, you know, 84 hours guaranteed. Mm-hmm. So the guys were... Uh, so raking it in, they were, yeah. And so there was, what, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I it's just it was crazy back then with Katrina. I mean, when I left DIT back in '82, uh, back then the best I got, uh, start out walk off the streets was Follick Brothers. They paid me three and a quarter, and after six months, uh, Subsea had an opening, and I got them with them for four dollars offshore. And three and a quarter in the shop until I uh, passed a, a well test. And well, we're out on the lay barge checking the stinger. And then I was, when the diving was over with, I was in the, in the firing line on bay one running root passes. <laughs> so I was uh, top dog at, at uh, $6 an hour. Oh, nice. Yeah. So raking it in back in the 80s. Oh, it, it was, <laughs> well, then it dried up. Oh. 
How much was a dime bag back then? Uh, I don't know, but the beer was a <laughs> lot cheaper. That? <laughs> he was about to answer it. <laughs> it was setting him up. Uh, DIT's not listening uh, to this. Setting right? him up. Uh, <laughs> They're going to listen to it. Uh, I'm just messing with you. No, it was an off color joke. Don't do drugs. Oh, no, it ruins no. your life. Don't do no, drugs. It, it leads to divorces. Because you make the <laughs> you make the wrong decisions ahead of time. Yeah, getting married in the first place. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been through. I'm working on the fourth future, Mrs. Wheatley. So, oh, oh my poor. gosh, stop! Uh, well, the, uh, unfortunately, COVID got the last one. So, oh man, Damn. yeah. See you, John. Mike. Well, yeah. that was a little unfair to you, though. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, it, it gave me a break. Um, and, and, you know, she had gotten sick in the 17. And so I said, okay, I'm going to hang my hat up and, and, uh, got actually, you know, on with Frank's, uh, casing. Well, actually MMR before Frank's and they needed a welding inspector and a welder and couldn't ask for better. And their health insurance was Cadillac. Nice. Mm. Oh yeah. It was like, uh, how much do I pay? 185 a month and you pick up everything. Okay, <laughs> you know it's like yeah. uh, this is unheard of. So it was, you know, life lessons. Uh, don't smoke, kids. Give it up now if you're putting stuff in your lungs that are going to keep you from working and That's living. Hundred percent true. And if you can't handle your drink, then stop. Yeah, just mm-hmm. like our buddy Les Joyner would tell you in his episode. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. It's I, you know, after forty years of doing this, I've been down many many roads, and luckily I was able to come back down. And go, ooh, that was the wrong exit. Let's uh, let's get back on the road to life. And that's great. That's great that you're an instructor now, and you're able yeah. to impart these life lessons to to some of these students. Even though probably most of them are going to listen, are they? Uh, or am I being pessimistic? Well, actually, they they don't know what to expect yet. They don't know what they don't know, and they're relying mm-hmm. on uh, some of our of the old timers that we do have, and. Uh, some of the younger folks that have graduated in the last, you know, eight, nine years to come in and tell them how it really is. Uh, you know, I started offshore in 82, but when there was an offshore work, you came inland and bounced back and forth uh, and finally got a name for myself. And then it was, I got the phone calls, you know, hey, when are you available? We got this project and are you going to be in this area? And it got to the point right around uh, between 88 and 95 that uh, my worst year was 340 days away from the house for marriage. <laughs> for work, it was great. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, that that basically led into the first, uh, I'll, I'll see you later, you're never around uh, right. note that I found at the doorstep. Uh, uh, but, you know, these guys are, are young they're energetic and it's so diversified. I mean, we're getting literally the kids that are turning 18 by the time they graduate to the hardcore Marine veterans that have done four, five tours over in the sandbox that are, you know, coming in on the GI bill and they're very mature and they're the mentors for these little kids that uh, teach them the life lessons that they're going to need. And it, it's very rewarding to see, you know, I, I get them right at the midway point, so they're starting to come around. But uh, by the time graduation's there, we've we've got them jobs lined up. 
when we we know what they're capable of and where a good fit would be, and we recommend them to those companies or just let the companies know ahead of time, hey, this guy's coming down, hire him. Just, just hire him. You train him the way you want him to work for you, but he's what you're looking for. And it's really worked out well. Um, those that want to work have jobs. Uh, those that you know want to get in the union, we give them the pathway to get into the inland uh, sector. Uh, those that want to go, you know, down to the Gulf and and play down there, and uh, you know, basically just put it in their minds, get a plan together. Where's your two, your five, and your ten year plan? What age do you want to retire at? Okay, this is how much time you have to make that money that you're not going to have to go back and do it. Because I got to be honest with them, this is a hardcore, uh, very physical environment that we work in, and it'll beat you to death. And and a lot of them are up for it. A few of them, they need to be scientific divers or, you know, go out and do readings and stuff like that and take pictures. But other kids, man, we're getting such, we're getting a few animals in that, uh, you know, don't send them down an impact, just send them a hammer wrench and a 12-pounder and let's go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. it's faster. Well, that's Very refreshing much. to hear. Oh, yeah. And uh, it different different uh, mentality. These kids are so damn smart when it comes to, you know, electronics and this stuff that, you know, our calculators were pencils with an eraser. And these kids can rip off <laughs> physics questions, which I'm running through them all the time. You know, just by looking up at the ceiling, coming up with an answer in five or ten seconds. And it's like, okay, yeah, I didn't expect that out of you, but there you go. And I got a few of them that it surprised me. They got photographic memories. Um, they won't write anything down. They'll just look at the board and they, you know, scratch out a hundred on a test. Every afternoon we have a written test and it's like, this is what we covered at 10 o'clock. And all of a sudden at three o'clock, it's like, God damn, it. You, you, you surprising me. Nice. Yeah. You know, that's a great skill to have a good memory. Uh, the worst thing is when you have to repeat yourself like 10 times over the comm box, oh, <laughs> over processes yeah. and go like, we just went over the plans. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking um, from experience there well, yeah, as no. being the diver, asking the questions. <laughs> <10 times. Okay. laughs> um, I thought you were referring to somebody that we all know. Oh, dude. We, no, we, well, well, that too. We so many times I've had to laminate prints and send them down to the diver. You know, here, here, it's a waterproof print. This is where you measure this far <laughs> off of this wall. This is where you're going to sink the core drill. Please. Yeah. Stop <laughs> asking me questions. Yeah. Laminate instructions. <laughs> you do. And then, you know, uh, the greatest one I was, I was working uh, on dam with uh, Dave Gill and. Yeah, I love Dave Gill. Oh yeah. It was like, D- Dave's relaying back to me the, the measurements, and I'm looking on the blueprints going, wait a minute, wait a minute, I can't keep up with you. You know, it's like, <laughs> come on, man, we just covered this, <laughs> and I'm in the water. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's very enjoyable to, to, to actually be returning back to the kids, and that was, you know, I had an opportunity to come back to Seattle and uh, be a caregiver to my mom, and, and the school said, you know, I, just off chance, I gave them a call and I said, hey, are you looking for anybody? And they said, come in. And next thing I know, I'm running the welding department. So it's it's a good stretch. I'm enjoying it. And you know what a great instructor they have. It's 
it's rare sometimes it gets somebody with as much experience to be an instructor. And I think we've gone over some of those reasons before mm-hmm. why a lot of the experienced guys don't become instructors, but it's just your situation was perfect. Your, the timing was right and everything worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, we've worked with a lot of the same people throughout the years. And uh, it's been amazing uh, talking to you before, you know, off air about some of the stories that you've had and some of the stories mm-hmm. that I've had and, and uh, about the same people and stuff. And, you know, uh, what companies have you worked for? Oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, pretty much up and down the West Coast. Uh, uh, everybody uh, from Oceaneering to Blackledge to C&W to uh, Advanced American, American Divers, Harbor Offshore. Uh, back in the day, there was Can Dive, then United Marine, and now it's AUS. Uh Global, uh, God, uh, back in the day it was Martech, then APM, American Pacific Marine, then it was DiveCon, now it's Aqueous, and uh, now it's Frank's Marine, uh, Dryden, uh, up in Alaska, uh, worked with, uh, oh, what was the name of that company? They're no longer. Well, it was part of Martech that Martech bought them up in Anchorage. Yeah. And then let's just go towards the East Coast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Crofton, uh, UCC, NUC, uh, uh, United Inland, and the golf was Follett Brothers, Taylor Diving, Subsea International, uh, American Oil Field, American International. American Inland Divers. So, yeah, and then the Great Lakes uh, worked for all those, the usual suspects up there, and the out of the unions, Toledo and out of uh, Chicago. Um, Great Lakes Diving and Salvage uh, was one of the, the majors. I got on with him back in 2000 and, and pretty much stayed with him until 2006 when Katrina decided to screw everything up for everybody. Uh, so yeah, and if it, you know, it, I was, I was one of the freelancers that basically, you know, didn't sit still. If, if there was a job to be had, I made a phone call. And then when you, in the Northwest, we had, uh, fisheries closures from April to September, April the 30th to September the 1st. So there was no marine construction on the, the dams or in the harbor. So you either pile bucked. Uh, knee deep in mud or you look for work and then it was time to hit the road you know from Seattle to Boston uh, down to Key West and all the way back to Imperial Beach that was my play field for almost 20 years oh nice yeah, yeah. so you so you've been at this for a while yeah I, and that I, laundry I, list of companies that you worked for that puts you in a great position to uh, refer some of these students yes. right Yes. Um, I, I can pretty well, within five minutes of a kid being on bottom, know where he needs to go. And if these these guys are into mountain climbing and adrenaline highs, I got companies for them. If they're into technical, um, precise type things, we have companies for them. If they want to go nuclear, if they want to go uh do water towers. We have a company over in uh, Billings, Montana, that liquid engineering that is, you know, they have an open 
an open door policy for DIT grads with the DMT that you're going to be on the road for eight weeks and you have, you can volunteer for an additional four weeks. Um, and they'll set you up with a crew after, you know, you prove yourself and now you're out inspecting water towers. Um, welding. I worked for Phoenix international. I was one of their, uh, nav C welders for a number of years. So I had all those connections and still do. And the guys that come through that are, uh, ex Navy, all techs, uh, especially submariners that still retain their security clearances that are good welders, they pretty much have a job. And then you have the guys that, like I say, they're the, they love the adrenaline, so I'm going to put them on a, a heavy lift barge and we'll let them watch, you know, hundreds of tons of rigging part <laughs> and go sideways and go skinning across the deck. And if they're into that or – he can set you up with uh, companies that will be working international. Uh, and that's a nice thing with Divers Institute. They do get their DCBC. So their IMCA calls are already on the road. So they can leave the U.S. and go work international. Wow. Yeah. So nice. the so opportunities You kind of tailor some of your students to certain companies, it sounds like. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's. I'm, I'm sure you feel some responsibility to make sure some of these uh, kids and young men you know, get to the places that you feel that are better suited to them. Oh yeah. Like one of those inspection divers, you know, mm -hmm. ones that, that you think might not be in for the, uh, you know, rough and tough stuff. Exactly. You won't try to send them to the Gulf or anything, mm -hmm. right? Well, um, no, I would prefer, uh, depending on what, and it has a lot to do with their agility. And, uh, I love these kids that come out of the Midwest that I grew up on farms or they grew up in dad's, you know, shop, auto mechanic shop that know which way, you know, the wrench turns. You don't have to explain life to them. They've already worked hard all the way up to get to the school and they're, they're ready for the adventure. And we can send them like, uh, right now, Aqueous, uh, company I worked for, for almost 20 years, um, is now doing international work, sat work, a Bayer Marchand, 30 feet of work, inland work. So it's such a diverse, and California, they work off the coast, that if a person got on with them, his boundaries are limitless. I mean, literally, they will accommodate where, you know, once you prove yourself, they will work with you. Where would, where do you want to work? You want to put in for international, go out on a sat boat, get on a barge? Do you want to work inland? Uh, homestead? Do you want to work, uh, you know, uh, do you want to work in the Gulf? Do you want to work off the California coast? So it, it all nice. depends on, you know, and the main thing I tell the kids right off the bat, how you apply yourself is in the 10 things that require no effort. The first one is just show up, show some interest, mm -hmm. uh, apply yourself, show motivation, show the willingness to learn from others, get along and know that you were there the company's going to invest a lot of money in you before you even return a penny to them so they're investing in you so hey man pay attention when somebody's trying to tell you how how they want their hoses tied or how they want their burning rig set up because they're trying to bring you into their fold you just learned from us the basics now it's time to go out and really start the learning when you graduate nice yeah that's great advice show up show up early yeah. And I did uh, I did misspeak 
uh, I said young men. I meant to say young men and young women. Yeah, that's that's what's amazing for me is to see the level of competency in the females that are coming through. It is blowing my mind, literally, from what I've seen over the years, that these girls, they learn differently. They apply themselves differently. They know how to, you know, they don't like to get burned. So first of all, they're going to figure out how to weld without burning themselves. And literally, you just show them what they need to, you know, 99% of everybody welds too fast. They won't let the rod do what the rod needs to do because they're turning a solid into a liquid and 50% of that liquid is going up into vapor. So you got to put something back. Hey, take the time. Don't have undercut. Uh, don't have porosity. Lay a decent bead down. And within 10 minutes, the girls have it. I mean, I have not had one girl come through the, the school since I've been there since September that isn't the top of the class when it comes to welding and burning. Nice. Um, and I've had them really surprise me physically. We had one little girl, quiet, uh, homeschooled out of the Midwest, Oklahoma, one of eight in her family. And she oh, was wow. just getting ready to get in the tank. She was all suited up, waiting to go up the ladder. Some guys made a comment to her. He just gave him the stink eye, jumped up, full gear on, weight belt, bailout, and started doing pull-ups with fingertips and did, knocked out about 15 of them, dropped down, and just stared at him. And the guy finally just <laughs> oh, put his head down and walked away. And it's like, yeah. He probably couldn't even do one no. without the gear. Exactly. So. And, and they're great. Academically, uh, they're at the top of their classes. And we get the whole, the whole round of them. I have one girl, she was an engineer, had her, her engineering degree, civil, came to the school to see what it was all about because she was going to work. For, I think she was going to work for CH2M Hill. So she, and they do so much water work. It's like, yeah. And did it in top of her class. She's one of the few that got a hundred on her welding test. And it's like, yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really uh, refreshing. And we have quite a few female instructors and they're top, top of the, of the rungs. Uh, They came back to the school and they really take an interest in, in the kids. uh, Well, kids, these young individuals learning properly. And we have so many, routines that we go with them and scenarios that they they have to prove before graduation that we're not putting dirt bags on the streets we're putting trained mm-hmm. divers who was your uh, oldest student so far oh i had a gentleman he was a retired navy chief uh bosun i think he was like 50 and he basically had the primo job that he had applied for and they told him he had to go through dive school this guy you know he did everything excellent didn't show a over interest in hydraulic tools impacts uh jetting and none of that welding he liked and burning he did well at but he got a job at disney down in orlando he was going to be working in the tanks with the, nice. It's the, like a retirement yes, job. Yes, it was a retirement job of a lifetime. We just heard, he graduated in uh, November, and we just heard that he had made his uh, he had made the cut, and he got the job with Disney. So he's going to be there till you know 
and he's from Florida. So I was like, oh, okay. He got the perfect job. Normally, uh, we see him up into their mid-30s, not much over 40, um, but we see a whole lot between the ages of 17 and 25. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's about the prime time to go. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And do you advise those that are trying to get in their mid thirties to be, you know, do you, are you kind of honest with them or you just take their money and just no, say, no, we're, go for it. We're definitely honest with them. I mean, there is work out there for them. That's not going to beat mm-hmm. them to death. Uh, like, let's say if you want to work uh, nuclear uh, NUC, yeah, they'll take, uh, because it's more technical diving than anything, but it's still hard work physically challenging if and they know up up front that uh the challenges are going to be there and we do uh really take an interest in making sure they're healthy the kids who get here and i keep telling them don't eat off the gut trucks uh watch your weight watch what you do on the weekends and stay healthy and uh they come in heavy they leave lean (laughs) yeah uh pt isn't you know they had a lot of dive schools out there and I, while I was around that, you know, the kids had to run, do push-ups, and all that. We do have um, run clubs is what they call them. So they'll take off 10 or 15 of them before class at 5 in the morning and, you know, get back by 6.15, hit the shower rooms and be in classroom. So they're they're showing an interest. And we do have hike clubs that go up Mount Rainier, um, go all through the mountains and out in the sound. And we do, you know, uh, we certify their scuba search, so they have to stay physical and, and be ready for it. And averaging 45 to an hour, and you know, from 45 minutes to right at 80 minutes bottom time per student per day. That's what we like to do. And once they get through, when I get done with them, they need to have 1,800 minutes of bottom time, both in dry suits and wet suits. So it's, you know, wintertime is very demanding on them. Physically, summertime right now, the water's beautiful. So mm-hmm. everybody's in a wetsuit. And uh, nice. the uh, the burning part of it is more technical in the welding versus the rigging, the offshore uh, scuba and deep dives. But my part of it is teaching them the basics and trying to hone the skill. Now, I do have a lot of uphill with them because the worst ones are the ones that already are welders before they come in not wet welders but surface welders Hmm. and i have to unlearn them (laughs) the techniques that they have for surface welding and teach them the techniques that apply to underwater welding which is sometimes very complicated but they have their aha moments and it clicks for them and you know there's no magic to it and i keep telling them that every day it's basically the rod angle the travel speed the amperage and just let the rod do what the rod does so in your opinion, do you think it's easier from what you've seen to teach somebody that doesn't know anything about welding to weld underwater? hundred percent. Oh, wow. Yes. I can, I can take a kid in 10 minutes on the surface, show him what he's going to need to do in the water and he'll come out and go, Oh God, that's all there is to it. And I said, yeah, that's all there is to it. Now there are certain techniques that you, once you become a welder, you learn them over the years, the temper beating process, uh, how to lay your beads in to where you're, you know, you're not doing a high heat input into the haze zones. Um, and welding rod has 
developed so much from the time I learned about it when I was in the military up to now. It's just incredible the amount of progress for the consumables. And there's not very many companies do it anymore. So they, they have, they're competing within themselves to get better. So you get that market for those consumables. Nice, mm-hmm. man. That's, that's pretty amazing. As far as you personally, did you get to do a lot of welding underwater in your career? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, I actually did. Uh, I got lucky. Um, Early on, I had gone through, uh, I was prior service, and when I got out, uh, I gotten, I went to dive school, and I'd been exposed to diving in the military with the combat units, and then uh, went through Divers Institute and got a phone call one day. I was coming up on my uh, either a reenlistment or discharge, and they offered me a, uh, they were starting an Army dive unit up in Tacoma, Washington. For the National Guard, and it was they have two active units, one in Pusan, Korea, and one in Fort Eustis. And they said, "Well, we're we're starting this up, and would you be interested in applying?" And I said, "Well, yeah." And I went down there, and the dive locker was looking for divers, and they pulled me in and sent me. Uh, I had to go through Navy dive school back then, so I went through second class school, and then they said, "Hey, we got an opening down at Port Wainimi, the underwater construction school." And that's when they taught us how to weld. And I caught on to it. And the unit had an opening to go to uh, the 248 school in uh, the Navy Yards, which is the Navy's welding applied uh, processes school, which is for hull techs and for the piping and uh, machinists uh, welding school. And, oh, my Lord, (laughs) that was four months of uh, hell because – you know, it was a Navy school and I was Army, but they <laughs> trained us to do, you know, TIG welding with mirrors in a two-inch space behind the pipe all the way to uh, welding patches on hulls, internal and external. And I understood the process. That helped. Brought it back to my unit, and I was the instructor there, trained my guys up. And in the interim... We, uh, as all young divers do, they decide to open their own diving company and lose a lot of money. But we opened uh, uh, C&M Diving up in uh, Seattle and kept it going from 85 to 89. But we had a job where uh, I ran into a gentleman by the name of Duke Ogden, who was the welding instructor for uh, down in Wilmington. But before that, he was... Uh, with Broco International. And I learned so much from that gentleman as far as uh, he oversaw one job and recommended me from that point on where I just came down. He says, hey, hit the water, go burn well, these plates, we're looking for welders. Threw a T-plate together, ran three beads, he said, you're hired. And never looked back from that day. And luckily got... uh, He recommended me to Broco when they were doing some uh, rod development and uh, worked with them for a few weeks. And then uh, Fred West down at C&W called up and said, hey, I have a job coming up and I need to qualify procedures. I said, well, I'll give it a shot. And uh, Chris Dracos and I hopped into a tank and we had an 18-inch open. uh, It was a 6G groove weld 
and he's on one side of the pipe and I'm on the other. And we were welding for four hour shifts together until we finally brought the piece out. And it took three tries, but we finally qualified the procedures for a repair job down in Mexico. Uh, they put a Pledco clamp on a, a leak and they just wanted it seal welded around the outside of it. And yeah. And never looked back from that day. It was, it was a great time. And he hired me on to run his welding department. And we did uh, quite a few uh, of these large tower class uh, fire pump installations. They couldn't dry dock. So we did it in the wet, put in a you know, a habitat, crawl up under there and they opened the hull up we would uh, slip the pipe in and we'd start welding and you couldn't stop until it was done. So it was an average of 22 hours to do those. So we were, we were pulling 12 hour shifts in a habitat welding away. And it it was, it was great times. (laughs) And we had five of those to do. And that, you know, just from that day going forward and then Phoenix got a hold of me for some, I worked with him for three years uh, as one of their nav sea welders, soup salve, and traveled all over the world, uh, you know, down to Chile, Japan, oh, God, Jacksonville, Bremerton, wherever they had a job, they needed, uh, I was kind of like on call. So I had to go down to Bruce, uh, Morgan City every uh, 90 days and either get in a tank or be on a job to keep my calls up. And mm-hmm. yeah. It was gangbusters, and uh, in between all that, AOD hired me to go over to Africa because they had a a problem with some of the platforms over there. The locals had gotten themselves some hand grenades, gone out to the platforms, <laughs> and we're fishing. Got to do a case of hand grenades. Yeah. Well, yeah, they they damaged the hell out of the nodes. So we did our best to go in there and patch those things up. And I mean, it was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go in Nigeria. And, and then I ended up down in Zaire for, I spent, oh, nine, nine months over in Africa working with uh, American International Divers, which is one of the offshoots for AOD. And it was... If, if you ever want a journey in life, that's the place to go. <laughs> West, I think I'll pass on that one. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was, I mean, you're, you're, you're on the boat and they're very restrictive on crossing borders. So we had uh, permits to be in Zaire, uh, the Congo, and, but we didn't have permits to cross into Angola, but we had to catch catch up to the boat in Point Noir. So they put me and Eddie Thomas on the beach to catch a flight. And that night, the agent, he, he brought us to some little, you know, picks us up at the dock and puts us in the back of a Toyota. Next thing, we're at some uh, hotel, restaurant, bar. And this guy is just pouring the alcohol to us. I mean, anything we wanted. And... Eddie and I are three sheets to it, but we're still trying to keep our composure. And all of a sudden he says, okay, we go. Where are we going? Motel's right here. No, no, I got a better place. Okay. Pile into this Toyota and we're driving through the jungle for at least an hour in Africa. (laughs) Guys, when I tell you that this is, this is a story of a lifetime. Next thing we know, (laughs) we pull into this place and 
we could see it was a monastery or a church. And it's like, okay. And the guy's talking with it. And a couple of nuns come out. And I spoke French and got along halfway decently with the nuns. And they brought us to a room, a couple of cots. And, well, it's, you know, three in the morning and we're three sheets. We crash. Next thing, five o'clock, the bell's ringing. We go walking, staggering out, and there's bodies everywhere, and these people are waking up. And it was during the Rwanda Burundi uprising. And this was a oh refugee. Yeah. This yeah. is a refugee camp. <laughs> and here Eddie and I are just looking around, going, Oh my God, where are we? And this place is better. I got a better place to take you to. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, what he did was he pocketed the money and oh, that the company around. was paying. So the priest finally, you know, he's been going through the courtyard, um, blessing bodies. And the ones that didn't get up, they threw them in the back of the truck. And he finally got to us and it was like, welcome. We're glad you're here. I said, yeah, where are we? <laughs> oh, so your friends will be here later to get you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you straight up got kidnapped almost, uh, yeah, we pretty did. much <laughs> so yeah and um that just figured that, you weren't enough for ransom and no. just left you there and and honestly yeah, that, that was, happens all the time yes actually that did happen to the global um industries diver had been kidnapped right around that time the poor fellow ended up oh, dying man. from malaria oh. when uh ross perot finally got him released and it it just was just one adventure after another and we've worked our way from Zaire all the way up to the Ivory Coast and it was the same thing we get into like Point Noir and we're waiting for our uh, gas to show up we're going out on a gas shop well some other agent grabbed up our gas it was flown in from Aberdeen and he was holding our gas for ransom so we're stuck at the dock until they negotiate this stuff and you've got 30 divers that you can't keep on a boat because they can smell the alcohol. Oh yeah. So it was, it was a, it was an adventure. And Man, it sounded like it was a wild time back then. Oh, it was. And plus, especially in that part of the world. Oh, cause it was hopping for work, right? Oh, it was, there was no, the problem was, is we started out, the contract started January the 2nd and, uh, <laughs> You had a 90-day contract. Now, you could either go off contract and return home, or they would give you the option to stay on contract and take 30 days off the boat anywhere in Europe, and they would fly you there. So I would go to Spain and then work another 90 days, fly out to Marseille, work another 90 days, fly out to, to Paris, because my family was all from Europe. And I was the only American left on the third tour. There was three of us to start with, and here I am, the last one. And the pay scale was steadily dropping because I was on mm. uh, 200 and 350. 200 for air dives, 350 for gas, and then they would pay you depth uh, past 250. Um, well, yeah, the next one, it went down to 150 and 250, and the third contract was down to 100 and 200. So we weren't getting the quality of divers anymore. We were basically getting the dregs, which were mercenaries and people on the run. I mean, literally, we'd get back to the dock, and the marshals are sitting there waiting to take guys <laughs> to jail. 
that are waiting for the boat to come back. It's or, like oceans of fire. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. And then there was many times during the latter part of it from the third contract where we were routinely leave port and turn around about two hours into the trip and have to get the nannies off the boat that had smuggled on board and then get back out. And yeah, but the water was beautiful. I mean, it it was fantastic. You, you'd be down at two sixty and look up and you could see the lights on the barge from bottom and just a dream to be a diver. And it was hell to be on the beach. So it was, yeah, it was an adventure. It, it, uh, it ended up pretty bad on me. I got bent up pretty bad on the last run. They had to get rid of me some way. They weren't going to pry me off of the boat until I made my 11 months. Because back then, you could, you'd have all your pay uh, tax-free if you made 11 months out of the country. And that's what I was shooting wow. for. So the way they they finally blew a deco schedule on me. And, yeah, you got to go back and see Doc Serio. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> so, Yeah. And you were married throughout this whole time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the first wife. So, <laughs> she, yeah, that that didn't last very well. Um, but she, she tolerated me and was able to pay off the house on that tour duty. And I don't buy you some time, you yeah. know, a little bit of the dive money, but it, it only works for so long, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, and like I tell the kids. That's loud. You know, yeah, that works. Sorry. I think I ought to have my Miller opening up right about now. Yeah. Um, yeah, the kids, I, I tell them straight up, put 50% of it away. Every check you make, put 50% of it away into a high-yield CD or a savings account or, or give it to your mom. She knows what to do with it. <laughs> she <laughs> raised you. <it. laughs> yeah. Your financial advisor. Exactly. And uh, because, and I'm honest with them, hey, kids, every divorce is going to be a million dollars. How long is it going to take you to recover? You know, and if you're making 150 to 200 a year, well, okay. You know, eight to 10 years, you're back on your feet. Um, if you're not making that kind of money, you might want to think about keeping her because it would be a lot cheaper. So if you're going through school, mm-hmm. make sure you listen to Mike. He's got plenty of experience in relationships and money. Yeah. Oh, I and can, welding. I can teach him, how to, welding, yeah. take, teach him how to make it and lose it. This is Bobby DeLise of the New Orleans-based maritime law firm DeLise & Hall. For over 40 years, DeLise & Hall has represented professional divers working offshore, in inland waters, or anywhere across the globe. This is what I know. All divers and their families should develop a relationship with an experienced diving attorney before an emergency occurs so that if that emergency does occur, the diver's attorney is there to assist them in their time of need. Consider me and my partners, Alton Hall and Jeanette DeLise, as your bailout bottle. Pray that you will never need to engage us, but should an emergency occur, we're standing by to assist you and your family. Here's something else I know. Diving contractors, dive gear manufacturers, third parties, and their insurance companies have the money to have their attorneys on call. Why shouldn't the diver and his loved ones also have an attorney in their gear bag before they leave home? Want to learn how Delise and Hall will be there should you need us? Give us a call at 1-800-DIVER-55 or call me on my cell at 504-460-6200. That's 1-800-DIVER-55 
and 504-460-6200. Visit us at our website, www.divelawyer.com or the Deleeson Hall Facebook page. This is Bobby Deleese signing off. We're Deleeson Hall, the diver's attorneys. And remember, not all sharks swim in the sea. Thanks and dive safe. That's awesome. So this is a portion of the show where uh, we're no longer talking about DIT. So if you're affiliated with DIT, uh, maybe you're the president, you can turn it off now because mm-hmm. we are now starting the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack <laughs> portion of the show. And we're getting into the dive talk dive stories. We kind of already started there with the uh, with the kidnapping. Yeah, that was, and, uh, that was a great story already. That was oh. crazy. So so get your drinks out. I, I think we've given them enough warning. You know, let's not get Mike fired. <laughs> no one. Good job himself there. Well, this is, I knew you guys were going to do it. So this is the best stuff out there. It's called. Oh, what's that? I can't. Penelope. Penelope. Penelope Architect. Ooh, nice. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a very rare to find it for some reason, either New York or Louisiana. You can find it in certain places of California, but um, for a guy that's drank everything from the bottom of the barrel to the top, it's it's right up there. What's the bottomiest of the barrel you've had? Uh, it's got to be some kind of African swell, right? Yes, oh, God. Yes, yes, it was. From a trash can? Mm, <laughs> even better than that. <laughs> yeah, think about Oh, my God. The one place that they never checked was the shitter in the sat unit. <laughs> and that's where we brewed it. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like prison. That some funky, of these funky wine. It's <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was some good applejack. Yeah, we we <laughs> make some hooch in there, and we had a sat tech that um, was very good with his stainless plumbing. That it would refine out pretty well. Um, but oh what gosh. was really nice about Africa, they had a standing rule that just before you entered the chamber, you took a shot of cognac to help with your decompression, of course. Oh, nice. For yeah. health. Obviously, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and back then, I was working with Pat Boyd. I don't know if you guys know that name. He basically was sat tech all through in a, a gas supplier through Taylor Days and Subsea and all over the world. And he could make a hooch that would definitely grow hair nice. on the bottom of the latrine and wow yeah but he also he was in charge of the cognac so he would meet you he ran your dive and he'd meet you at the chamber as you were stripping and running you get in to run your uh well back then we we had two choices you could either run a table five or you could run the standard deco and it was always no i'll take the table five it's shorter and i'll be better off so we would for the hundred and thirty and hundred and forty tables. We ran a table five. All the rest was the standard tables. Okay. Yeah, we just and then had, table fives. I mean, you never had any issues with the guys. None. No. We awesome. Didn't. If we ran the standard table, the one thirty and one forty, yeah, we always bent them. We had pain on pains. Uh, yeah. A lot of joint. Uh, yeah, niggles and yeah, DCS. But phew, run table five. That come up just happy as sin, and it was shorter. So we were happy with it. And Pat awesome. was always there to hand you a shot of uh, cognac. 
I think it might have been a shot of cognac. Yeah, well, it, it warmed you up. Right. Help, help uh, shrink those bubbles. Yeah, well, lube up the the uh, joints. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so beer was non-existent, so we just stayed with. Oh darn! Yeah, well, it was either Mamba uh, or it had something. Uh, if you were lucky and you got into a port that had Heineken or Triple uh, Three. You could drink that, but nah. Normally, it was yeah, mom, be slim pickings. I'm sure. Yeah, and it was worse. It had so much <clears throat> formaldehyde in it; it wasn't worth drinking. Ugh. Oh, well, they got to ferment the beer somehow. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it was not not a whole lot of hops and yeast no, out there no. that you can brew with. Well, it was it was okay. I mean, yeah. we had to be on the pill, the malaria pills, uh, the small mm-hmm. pills every day, and the big pill on Saturday. And that I definitely tell the kids. Uh, don't do it for more than six months because you'll start getting floaters in your eyes and stuff. And yeah, it's one of those oh, things. But it was been through the gamut of this oh, thing, yeah. huh? Oh yeah. Oh so. <laughs> Oh god, they give you so much vaccines and shots and uh, stuff before you have to go overseas. Back in those days, and the protocols was you had to have thirty days before you flew out. To go through it all the the yellow fever the typhoid all the the batteries of vaccines well these idiots call me up you know like the 30th of december and say hey you're going to be flying out on the second come on in and i said okay well it's new year's yeah there's a flight i flew down to lafayette and they said here go by the clinic you got to get your shots and i walk in there and a the doc looked at me and says okay we're going to give you this this and this and uh, we'll need you back on the 15th for this, this, and this, and then back on the 30th for this. I said, Doc, I'm leaving in two days. He says, well, you can't do this. I said, well, why don't you give my office a call? And <laughs> he comes back, back in. He says, you are not going to like yourself. And he started poking and prodding and giving me shit. And yeah, I, uh, on the flight over from Houston to, to Paris was definitely an interesting flight. Get down! I smell them. Oh, <laughs> Start hallucinating. Oh man! No, it was from the chills. Just give it all to them all at once. Yeah, they did. Uh, God. Well, luckily, I was healthy and young back then. It didn't. I survived. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and you had to take that long flight on oh. top of it. You probably just shit in your britches. Yeah, that happened. Luckily, luckily, it was a a very very few people on the flight, and. Uh, <laughs> Both ends, I'm yeah, sure. That, it, oh, was, man. it was irritable, but it was it was fun. I mean, we learned a lot about customs that and, and people. And oh, yeah, you don't want to go into Zaire or the Congo with. I was carrying my super light at the time because I didn't trust it going through customs or being shipped, and I was an automatic target. They pulled me aside and wanted me first to take your passport and. Want to know how much money you have? Um, well, I'm going to end up giving it all to you, so here it is. And I did. And next thing I know, I, I was bringing over a couple of Kraut Kramer UT machines with me for the boat, and they weren't even in it. They didn't even know what they were. But the two bottles of peroxide and the bandages and the band-aids, yeah, I was importing medical supplies without a permit. Oh, jeez. Of course. So for 12 hours, I sat across from a guy that, 
a big, very big black guy with an Uzi that had ammo. Most of them walk around with Uzis. They don't have ammo. This guy had ammo, so he, they were serious. So finally the agent showed up with two garbage sacks full of their money to get me out. It was like, okay, let's go to work. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Now I'm, I'm now. And, and you then, still went back for more oh, yeah. every time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a rush. <laughs> it had to have been a rush. Oh, it was. So much adrenaline. It, uh, yeah, I was an adrenaline junkie. And if it, if it could, uh, <laughs> they put me in a boat that we were hooking a hammer, a fibro hammer up one day on a, a pile that was underneath the, the, oh God, I think it was one of the big American drill, drill ships that was over there. And for some reason they needed something welded. And for, for some God forsaken reason, I seemed to be the only person who knew how to weld when there was crap welding to do. Because the Brits, all of a sudden, no yeah. one's a welder. Nobody's <laughs> but a then when they're getting the job, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a great welder. I'm great. I'm good. So here I am, 200 feet up Crickets. in a bosun's chair, trying to weld some gussets into the bottom of this vibro hammer to keep this 36 inch, 300 foot pile from dropping out. And yeah, for the next four hours, you're sitting up there trying to get your legs to work. It was like okay. <laughs> so, but the thing I learned real quick was like when everybody else said no, then all of a sudden I got gas debt pay for that day. So at least my supervisor, Dave Eisenhower, was taking care of me. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it was like, you know, <clears throat> if we get shit welds, okay, Michael do it. We'll pay him for it. Or sit out and have to weld down, you know, anchor winches, these big uh, Rasmussen fucking four drummers to the deck with doublers with. <laughs> quarter inch jet rod in 115 degree heat in Africa. Yeah, go get Mike. He'll do it. Sure. Also must be great too to get that rep though. Oh you know. Because you're always the last guy on the job before, you know, the job, you know, mops up. First guy out, last guy in. That that was my motto. And that's why I tell the kids, hey, if you can weld, they're gonna push you out there early. You're gonna be able to uh, set the job up. If you're an inspection hand and it's an inspection job, okay, you set the boat up. Now you get to go out and do the inspection work. If there's damage, they're going to call in the construction crew. When they get done with the construction, you're still there. You got to go inspect what they did and you got to break the deck down. Dude, you can have an extra week's worth of pay just by knowing how to weld and being an inspection hand and a construction diver. Diversify yourself. Make the clean money. Yeah. So many jobs I've gotten on where I did the diving for another company, but then stayed on after the job was done on the pile driving side or the or the heavy construction side. I was able to turn it into a lot longer job, you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That um, that reminds me of that tunnel coming over from Long Beach Harbor to San Pedro, underneath the Vincent Thomas. Ronnie Blackledge ended up with. They missed the uh, the recovery uh, window by about six inches for the tunnel boring machine. And we had to go down and weld, wet weld a diaphragm in place so that they could dewater this thing. And at the time, we didn't know it, but they were freezing the soil in this cell, which were 70 feet down, with nitrogen, liquid nitrogen. So we're all thinking, oh, yeah, it's a nice, you know. August day in 
Long Beach and hot as hell. That water was like 37 degrees. Jeez. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, he didn't give us much warning on this one. And uh, I was with, uh, oh, God, McCracken and Jimmy Geisler. We're all down there putting this thing, trying to get it back into place. Finally, we got it to the pump with the port. The pumping could overcome the uh, the influx. And Ronnie comes showing up. They lower him down, and we're down there trying to get the last of the water out from underneath this thing. And he starts injecting this foam. Well, the foam is not is designed to work in warm weather or warm temperatures. Like it has to be above fifty degrees for this stuff to kick off. So he's pumping in about five, six gallons of this stuff around the seal. And all it's doing is spraying back on all of us. And we're coated in this two-part foam that's not curing. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God. A bunch of glue monsters. We were. (laughs) And and, all the crap stuck to you. Finally, Dave just said, we're done. We're done. And Ron, you know. He finally came to his senses. I said, go get some splash zone. We can get this thing sealed. And sure enough, we did. And we're just coated in this crap. So, yeah. I I, I loved working with Ronnie. Oh, yeah. He's he's, he's a cartoon. I I mean, not a cartoon. Yes, he is. He is a cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, he is. He's a great guy. I love Ronnie. But some of this shit is. He's a character. Foghorn Leghorn stuff. Yeah. It's like Wiley Coyote sometimes. <laughs> it totally is. That's the best way to describe some of his jobs. <laughs> oh Lord, <sighs> that dude will give you the shirt off his back, though. You he know. will. He uh, he he put up with more with me than I think anybody. You know, I'd look at him and go, "Ron, this is not going to work." Yes, it will. No, yes, it will. for five minutes, and Dave would probably come up and say, "That's enough. <laughs> it's not going to work." Ron, he listened to him. He wouldn't listen to me. So it, it was it was good times. It was great times actually. Oh, you want an adventure? We had to put. What in- was your most your <laughs> like favorite place to work at? Midway Island in the South Pacific. <laughs> we for diving, we had mm-hmm. to put in uh, about twelve hundred anos on the fuel pier out at Midway, and it was a classic. Uh, 85 degrees every day, beautiful, crystal clear water. You, you know, literally, they would, uh, we had hang lines. You'd just rig up an anode and kick it over the side, and you'd watch it come down. It'd spring. You'd go out there, grab it, weld it up. And this would go on till you know, 7 in the morning until 3.30 in the eve- afternoon. And then we had dinner call. So at 3.30, you, you shut down for 30 minutes and went and found dinner, and it was usually lobster. Any saper-sized lobster. Lobster again. Yes. I, I, don't, I don't eat lobster anymore because for 89 <laughs> of 90 days, I ate lobster. It was either that or they had Sri Lankans on the island. and Well, I don't like curry either. So, yeah. So today, no, the beautiful water, uh, mm-hmm. unlimited visibility. Uh, just every type of tropical marine life was there with us. Moray eels, lobsters, uh, huge turtles, 
and we were inside the reef, so we didn't have any problems with the sharks. But we had a big time problem with triggerfish. Oh, and, those nasty oh, yeah. triggers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the saltwater piranhas, they were everywhere. But then, yeah, that was the most enjoyable. Uh, Africa had its good points, you know, beautiful water to dive in. Um, I, I'd say the, the best diving to make money was Alaska with the uh, herring row. We did that 84, 85, and 80 until the Exxon Valdez ran aground. And that was strictly diving for dollars. You'd drop down 20 feet of water. The kelp was up to your waist, and you were just balling it up and putting it into bags and sending it to the surface for the wild harvest where they used the divers. And we were high boat every year. So, you know, you spend a week or two in Cordova till the opener, head up to Valdez or um, over the uh, to the cannery on the other side and just – for 12 hour opener, you were in the water for 12 hours and just aga mask and dry suits and come up for fuel and a cup of coffee and the top or uh, a cup of noodles and back in the water. Nice. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, we did a job in Friday Harbor up here in the San Juans. It was a blasting job where we actually took a track drill underwater and drilled out a pattern. Uh, that was beautiful water too in the wintertime. Uh, it was September, October, and November, and it was just incredible visibility, and you're down there just, you know, you're 15 feet of water, so you're going to wait 15 minutes to drill this 12-foot hole, so you're reading a book. You know, we, we took paperbacks, Louis Lamour's down with us, and, you know, when you get done, you shove it into the controls, and the next diver down, he'll grab it up and start reading as he's drilling his pattern out. It was fun. Did a lot of lot of things and uh you know just been a great career and now i'm back to you know give it back to the kids try to teach them some of the lessons we learned the hard way what's some <laughs> what's some of the uh close calls you've had you're uh actually this is a the part ocean of the show story ocean oh, story do you have any of those oh too many yeah um lessons yeah. learned that's what we're going to call yeah. them this season the lessons no longer learned. shits the lessons learned stories. Oh, uh, I like those shits better. Yeah, let's let's just make sure. Oh shit story. Like I tell the kids, check your rigging. Make sure the rigging they sent out <coughs> is capable of doing the. We were in Africa. They were going to put the top package on a a tarpon, and it it weighed in at about it wasn't bad. It was only about hundred and fifty tons. And we started inspecting the rigging, and we noticed that the the leg lengths were not going to, you know, give it a good 45 degree. The leg lengths were pushing it down way past 60. And we went to the engineer and told him, hey, man, um, this rigging is not going to do what you need it. They send out the wrong rigging. He says, well, we got to put it in anyhow. I said, it's <laughs> not going to work. So unless you've invented a way to, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to beat the laws of physics, mm-hmm. well, it's not uh, going to work. And, and on top of it, uh-huh. all four legs equaled the weight versus each leg being able to handle the weight. Uh, yeah. So they got it off the deck and as they were swinging it, you know, one leg 
popped and then you had the domino. So here goes mm-hmm. this complete assembled top package. It had the crane on it. It had uh, the power packs. It had all the valving and everything oh, heading down to 280 feet of water. And we're all smiling. It's like, okay, we told you. No, let's let's turn this two-week job into a two-monther. And, yeah, that was, equipment-wise, that went south. Um, they also make the best uh, videos on Instagram, too. Yeah, that was the, before uh, rigging that. Failed rigging. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we swept the Imagine deck. Imagine if we had it back then, oh, the capabilities. God. No. We swept the deck uh, down in Venezuela. We are picking a spool piece off. It was 18, 18-inch. 10,000 PSI pipe with big 10,000 flanges on it. And, um, you know, the barge soup said, no, I don't want to pick this up. And company man kept pushing and finally says, okay, I'm going to lift it one foot off the deck. We, the seas were just wrong. We were in the wrong heading and he wanted to take time to bring it around to the correct heading. Well, that's two or three hours. And they didn't want to hear that. Okay. He picked it about a foot off the deck, and it went 50 feet one way and then 100 feet the other way and cleaned the deck completely off of every <laughs> wow. piece of auxiliary gear. And we're all just sitting there going, yes. Yeah, that was a good one. Yes. Well, you guys are dumb divers. You don't know nothing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, don't don't get me started. That's why I became <laughs> a CWI, because of an engineer. CWIs back in the day in the 80s were, you know, were accomplished welders. You had to be. Nowadays, you can just go mm-hmm. take a associate's degree and you become a CWI. Yeah, I don't even think you have to run a bead. Yeah, yeah, they don't even do that. Uh, no, this engineer told me that we were having to weld pad eyes on to pick up uh, a very large structure that was in the wrong position. And okay, uh, half inch base metal, three eighths. Had I, he wanted three quarter inch welds put on it. And I told him, I said, sir, this is, you're, you're overdoing it. You're stressing the metal. You're going to, you're going to cause problems with all that heat input. And especially with these wet welds. Oh, you don't know anything. You're just a welder. <laughs> okay. Went ahead and did it. And sure enough, ripped out all the base metals when we went to pick this thing and rolled it. And mm-hmm. that ended up in another fiasco. So from that day on, it was like, okay. He knows more shit than I do because I'm just a dumbass welder, but I'm going to go learn. So I started, you know, taking courses at night and when I was on the beach and finally learned a whole lot about metallurgy and welding principles. And when took and took my CWI test, passed it. And, and now when they start talking their garbage, I can say, well, why don't we look at the code here? And it says right here that your base metal. And your reinforcement cannot be exceeded. Yeah. So I talk their talk now. And with a little bit mm-hmm. more gray hairs, they believe me. And <laughs> it works out. But uh, the worst one, uh, we're on a Manson barge in uh, the Gulf. And for some reason, they kept getting uh, indigenous workers. The deckhands were oh, Venezuelans and the welders were all Vietnamese. And they didn't know Abla at all. And we had a, a 1450 Vibro sitting there with caution tape all around it. And we were getting to seize. They were running five to eights, 
So things were moving around on deck and everybody, all the divers, we all knew to stay the hell away from that area. And sure enough, one of these clowns decided he was going to take a shortcut through the caution tape and the piper act decided to let go about that time and we were filling a body bag. Jesus. Yeah. And diving wise. Yeah. There's been a few bad ones, uh, amputations and fingers and guys putting them where they don't belong. Uh, I, uh, What's like the biggest culprit? Is it between flanges or something? Or oh, yeah. Basically, the you know anything under tension down there. The guys, I'm trying to tell them straight up, is is waiting, just waiting for you. You know, if you don't have a drift pin fully inserted, that thing can get you at any moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and live loads, trying to stab yeah. a pin on the crane. Uh, I had, well, live loads, my worst incident with a diver, and he got messed up pretty bad. We had a 40-ton shear. We were trying to shear the bottom legs because another Manson job. It was an eight-leg, and uh, we had gone down and sawed all the legs, and then they sent us home. They were notorious for getting rid of the divers as soon as possible. And then they go to pick it, and it was too heavy. So they decided, well, we'll just split the platform in half. We'll get this 40-ton shear out and go nibble all the horizontals and the VDs and separate it into two forelegs. And I had a diver down and at this yeah, 75-foot, just above mud line, and we, it, was, it was rolling. And I told him, I said, make sure you go around the leg, route your hose before you approach that thing. And we just come down, bad visibility, came down with a shear. He tagged the, the horizontal with it, and it takes forever for those damn shears to close. So it, and in the process, um, a swell came through, and the rigging slacked, and the thing started to fall over. And he mm. decided to rabbit. I don't know, you know, where are you going? Well, he hadn't <clears throat> routed his hose. He had routed it between the leg and the shear. And it came over on him, and it got him, and it crushed him. And it was, it was unfortunate. He did make it to the surface and close. He went right over the top of the standby because he was coming down on the stage to get him. Climbed the ladder, and you know, we laid him down on deck and had to medevac him out with four broken vertebrae, broken pelvis, and punctured lungs. Jeez. Oh, so yeah, you but know, everything's big and heavy and trying to get you. Pinch points. They're out there. Yeah. They're ready for you. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's, that's it. Yeah. That's the biggest thing underwater. Oh, yeah. You know, it seems like everything's moving so slow, you know, <laughs> and then you take your eyes off of it for a second. Next thing you know, it's right on top of you. Oh yeah. And, um, the current, uh, mm-hmm. we, Africa was terrible for spontaneous currents. Uh, you'd be down, Working, everything's calm as can be, and the next thing you know, you're being drug off the, your work site. And it had been coming and going. It was the middle of uh, June, so it was their winter. And we had a kid. He was kind of squirrely to begin with. And we told everybody, go. the stage is going to be down. Go down the bellwire, go through the stage, go to your work site. No, he was going to do it his way. Well... He got drug off, 
Um, we'd had him on gas for about 15 minutes. He was, yeah, two, two forty. So the procedure was standby jumps with his hose, goes down, pulls him back to the stage, and then you ride him up. No, he went right over the standby, screaming to the surface. He's still on gas. Oh, and back then we were diving 14%, so you couldn't make it to the deck. And luckily, you know, Pat Boyd shifted him over to air as soon as he started. He knew he was going over the standby. This kid climbed all the way up, screamed all the way up, up the ladder, ran to the chamber. We put him on a table six, A, mm -hmm. just, just because. <laughs> and totally asymptomatic. Nothing ever happened to him. He got out of the chamber. He says, call me a boat. I've given up diving. I said, well, that's a real good idea. You might live a little <laughs> yeah, that's longer. that's probably a good idea. <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. did you kind of know something was going to happen with that guy? Oh, yeah. He was squirrel. He was Jaime. Oh, That's what we nicknamed him was Jaime over the hedge. He oh. was he was one of them. Uh, yeah. The, the, a lot of guys are, you know, uh, not very many left from my class. We started with 24, graduated 16, and I'm the last one alive, I think. But it isn't the diving that kills them. It's the fast cars and fast women. And Trying to impart that into the kids that, you know, you just have so many days on this planet, man. Do it right. Mm -hmm. But it's a damn great career, though. Oh, man. <laughs> I have I have loved every minute of it. And even today, I don't mind sitting in traffic for two hours to go 22 miles just for the opportunity to see their faces. At, you know, tomorrow morning, I'll be. Opening up things at 5.45. Let's go get hats. Let's get set up. We're going to be burning. Tomorrow's our burning test. So, oh, nice. Yeah. And it, it's very rewarding. Uh, and just being able to give back to the to the guys, it's it's great. And to still, you know, have a lot of the guys that I work with up here still, now they're retired. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with, I don't know if you know Chris Hackworthy and Rod Rowe and those guys, but Mike Shea, Rich Boyce, those are all the guys I worked with for years, Scotty Demick and Dave Gill. It, very rewarding career. I How wouldn't, has Dave I wouldn't Gill do been it again. around? Oh, yeah. They, yeah uh, it's been around for a while, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, you want to give any other shout-outs before we close out this episode? Some some other guys you worked with? Oh, Sam. Sam Houston, he was on your class, uh, on your show a while back. It was good to hear his voice again. Oh, Sam Humphrey. Mm -hmm. Humphrey. Sam Humphrey. I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Shout out to Sam. Sam, what's up, Sam? Yeah. Uh, spent a lot of time with Chris Dracos, John Jeffries. Uh, a lot of the guys, uh, Tuckfield, I worked with him quite a bit with American in Harvard. Oh, I see a Ralph. Uh-huh. And uh, John, John Ventress, Jeff Terai, you know, those guys were uh, they were in the heyday. Geislers. Both, yeah, Jimmy and Terry. Chad, Kaysen. Kaysen, Chad, and uh, I worked with him and Aaron Dack. He was, uh, I, I remember Aaron. I was, he was a tender with, uh, back in the day. And now to hear, here he's working in the North Sea is just the greatest, greatest thing in the world. I worked with him and Chad down in uh, Venezuela. Uh, a lot of the guys in Trinidad worked with him there. I was their SAT supervisor and superintendent. And it's been a great career. I mean, from, you know, back in the day when they handed you a card and a list of companies that hire divers to now the <laughs> social media 
that's out there and the connections that these kids can come up with and being able to to get out there and actually give them you know hope when back in my day it was like oh here's a list of companies you might want to try them and, right yeah and that's great man. trying to get that's them to, that you're able to call and put yeah. in a good word for them mm-hmm. give, give them a good head start yes and the opportunities like the unions now uh you know, you can get on with a company, they'll sponsor you right in, go through the apprenticeship, learn a trade. So I try to tell these guys, it's like diving is, is a part of your trade. There's a whole lot more to it. And now with the tunnel boring, the hyperbaric medicine, mm-hmm. these kids, when they leave the school, they don't understand what they're qualified to do. And that's a lot compared to when, you know, back in the day. And companies need young talent because there's guys like us that are, retiring every day and getting out of it that aren't, uh, you know, passing it along. They, they've got to, well, like I say, I'm just glad to be at the school and, and giving back to them and trying to help them go in the right direction. It's awesome, Mike. And I can't wait till, uh, hopefully we'll make our way up and do yeah. a tour of DIT at some yeah, point. And then uh, we'll see you again and talk with you again. Look forward and, to uh, it. Yeah. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Is there anything uh, else you might want to say before we sign off? Just, you know, when any, any seasoned diver wants to pay attention and tell you something, man, he's hoping to give a little bit back to you. Take that time to find the oldest guy in the crew, get him a cup of coffee. He might t- teach you something to keep you alive. Nice. And, you know, put that in a t-shirt. Give me a cup of coffee. I'll keep you alive. I like it. It's pretty good. (laughs) TM. That's trademark. Yeah. Hey, you better get that one into the patent office. Somebody's going to grab it. Give me a cup of coffee. I might be able to tell you something to keep you alive. Okay. I like it. Uh, Yeah, guys, I appreciate the show a lot. You're you're getting a lot of uh, interest in – there's so many facets and you guys are touching on so many different avenues that these guys didn't even have a clue that's out there and just being able to open their eyes. Um, I've got your website plastered up on the board in the welding shop. And I tell them every day, I said, you want to learn something? Go listen to these guys because they're, they're passing information along and you'll have fun listening to them. Awesome, Mike. Yep. We'll definitely, wow, uh, thanks a lot. We'll That's... send some stickers your way and some swag oh, yeah, when man. we get it. And that shirt. Yeah. We're going to make that shirt. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. I look. Okay. I'll take a shirt. I've got one I can return back to you. The Clean Money Mike shirt. Awesome. Yeah. I look forward to having yeah. you guys up. And, and please, anytime uh, you're in the area, stop in for a cup of coffee. we got some awesome. awesome brew houses up here. I know you guys like to go out and about and get a few brews and oh, yeah. ming- mingle with the local. Um, Local ladies, yep. <laughs> well, not fr- the ladies. Yeah, well, yeah. Fremont Stacey, is uh, Stacy, not the ladies. Yeah, Fremont is a place where you can interact with them as much as you choose to. They've definitely come out of hibernation li- lately. I'm yeah. actually wearing the Fremont hat right now. Yeah, there you oh. go. Yeah, kind of funny, oh. but yeah. So make sure you follow uh, Divers Institute of Technology DIT mm-hmm. on Instagram and Facebook. Yep. Follow Mike at a very old welder. Is yep. that right? Yeah, very old welder too. Somebody hacked my original one. Oh, so man. I had to I hate it when they do yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, very old welder too on yep. Instagram. And of course, Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack, Bottom Dwellers DS, and mm-hmm. Facebook, Bottom mm-hmm. Dwellers Dive Shack. Thanks, guys. This is great. 
Uh, look, look forward to it coming out. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk with you soon. Great. Great. Thank you. Good night. Keep your lungs dry. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. Make sure you like and follow on our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook. Please share this podcast with your friends or anyone interested in commercial diving. The only way that uh, we can make this successful is if we do get a lot of people that are listening. We get more listeners, we get more sponsors, and that means more free stuff for you guys. That's right. We are hooking up all of our diver brothers and sisters in the trade. And uh, if you keep sharing and liking, we're able to do that a lot more. Our Instagram is at BottomDwellersDS. Our Facebook is Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. And you can always like and follow me at LB Diver on both. The Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack is available on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Anchor. We also have it streaming on our website at thebottomdwellers.com. So keep listening, keep it safe, keep it salty. This is LB Diver, out. Out.